This episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether I'm on the red carpet at a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling is always the same. Pulling open the door to hear the huge, spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within the irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it, four times sharper to capture every detail. Relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite tipple before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It's nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say, we make movies better. And I couldn't agree more. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a comment on our socials. I'll explain more at the end of the show. But congratulations to this week's winner, Tony H78, who got in touch on our Instagram, where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. We're also on Twitter and TikTok at Trip to Movies Pod. Tony was responding to last week's unpopular opinion from my lovely guest Ali Hadji Heshmati that The Incredibles is the greatest superhero movie ever made. Tony says, It's absolutely brilliant, but it ain't the best. Avengers Endgame is, in my opinion. Avengers Infinity War, The Dark Knight, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Logan, and Spider-Man No Way Home are also all up there. Thank you very much, Tony. Drop us an email to triptomovies at gmail.com and we will send you your tickets. Finally, if you'd like to watch your interviews rather than listen, you can find the full video interviews in glorious Technicolor over on our Trip to the Movies Patreon. And if you want a little taster of what those videos are like, why not subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel? All right, back to this episode. If you're ready, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week we are joined by a brilliant comedian who, as well as being the voice of the popular reality television program Love Island, is a brilliant stand-up and can currently be seen in season two of ITV2's hit sitcom Buffering, which he co-wrote and created, taking us on today's Trip to the Movies. Please welcome the excellent... Mr. Ian Sterling, hello! Hi there, hi there, hi there, listeners. Hi! Long time listener, first time, first time caller. <laughs> um, hey, it's lovely to have you on. Busy, busy time of the year for you, huh? This is a busy start to uh, 2023. Yes, yes, I am doing, um, currently doing Love Island, but I'm doing it from home. So I am in a room right now with um, more microphones than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> and I just basically don't leave this room at the minute, which is fine as a... As an introverted gamer, that's absolutely fine by me. <laughs> so, I mean, is that preferable to you? Did you not want to fly it? South Africa season nine is yeah. taking place in, right? Um, yeah, I was. I, I, it would be really cool to be in South Africa and stuff, but like, it's like the eighth year now, and it's two series a year for two months at a time, and like family, work commitments, <laughs> um, and then like, I just, and also just like 
being in a hotel, like, it's so weird. Oh my God, this is like beyond first world problems, but like being in a hotel <laughs> for like a week, two weeks is like the best thing in the world. Living in a hotel for two months is borderline harrowing. Right, yeah. Okay, I hear that. I hear that. So like you say, I mean, it's been eight years, man. Did you actually think when you started doing Love Island eight years ago, nine series ago, that you would still be doing it, what, almost a decade later? No, no, I, I sort of, if I'm being completely honest, I took the job because it was voiceover and I thought when it when it's inevitably not very good, I'd, no uh-huh. one needs to know that I was involved <laughs> in it. Um, but like then, but then we done this like, they do dry run every year, which is basically when they they film it, but it's not for um, transmission. And they have like some other people come in to like just to so pe- like they can teach cameras and all that sort of stuff. And then um, mm. the first like the first time they done a coupling up, me and Mark who wrote, wrote it together were like watching it, going, "This is we just like literally this is brilliant." And we hadn't seen anything like you just never seen anything like it before. I didn't hadn't watched I hadn't watched reality television much at that point either. So I was like, "This is mad. This is great." So yeah, sort of by that point, I knew it was they were onto something. You say that you sort of took it because it was voiceover work, but I mean, it, it's it, your voice is now the, the framework on which the show is built, the, the constant throughout, and something that people tune in for. Have you had to change just how I don't know sarcastic you can be as the series has grown? Because I guess when ITV first commissioned it, they were like, "We don't know how this is going to go, so just do do what you want." Actually, not really, because like. Me and Mark sort of made a decision at the start. I get Mark, who I, I, I write with, to mm. not like be m- like mad cruel to them because not from like a morality standpoint, more like even the first week, you're like, this guy's an idiot. It's like you've got nowhere <laughs> to go then from there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, of course. You've got to like, I think the guy, Ian, the, vo- the, the voice of Love Island, when I'm in like in my character, he sort of like almost takes them as like they're the world that he knows. So like they're the base level of like of like knowledge, understanding, intelligence, empathy. That's like the base level. So anything that v- wavers from that's what we joke about. So we've never really been that nasty. I find it quite funny when people go, "Oh, I bet when the Islanders are when they see you." I'm like, "Well, not really, because we've not really." I mean, there's a guy in the show this year called Will, who's a farmer, mm. and we've yep. called him Farmer Will the whole series, purely because I think it'll be funny that he'll have people come up to him in the street and going, hey, Farmer Will. <laughs> 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 and there was a guy one year that once on a day asked, who's your favorite crisp? What's your favorite crisps? And then we just <laughs> called him Crisp Guy for the whole series. <laughs> and, he, and then... And obviously, he doesn't even remember asking someone once, do you like crisps? So he came out. and But to be fair to him, he got a hashtag ad, ad for walkers. So like, every, <laughs> that's, a genu- that's a genuinely true fact. And I feel oh, really wow. bad because I can't actually tell you the guy's real name. <laughs> <laughs> that I honestly had never imagined that so much thought had gone into it. It's almost uh, this idea that your voice in the show that is the only it's it's a tiny little universe that that is all he's ever seen yeah. he's almost like a sort of a mini god in his I'm, universe i'm i'm the thor of love island <laughs> and at any point at any point i can click my fingers and bring the whole thing crumbling down <laughs> oh he got a hashtag for walkers that's a that's amazing because i mean let's you know let's call it as it is 
there is love and then there is the opportunity that this yeah. show provides. And am I right in thinking this series, they've done something different because on previous series, yeah. like, contestants would hand over their social media accounts Mad. to their family. Right. Mad. And this it's season, mad. no. I, I, I really respect ITV for doing it because, like, my big issue with it was with hmm. the Islanders keeping their social media alive was what would happen is someone would go into Love Island and then give their phone to, like, a family member, and then all of a sudden you've got, like, Susan, who's, like, their great aunt, who, like, is a receptionist at a dental surgery, and she's got a phone in her hand with, like, 100,000 people messaging her about her nephew and i'm like she isn't she isn't trained for that she Mm, doesn't understand that so that Mm -hmm. the bit i the bit i always had an issue with was like i didn't like the people on the other end who hadn't and also a lot of them are older they don't even get the the sort of world of social media if you know what i mean well you mean how terrifying it is it's horror it's horrific it can be absolutely (laughs) horrible but then i'm saying Mm. i've actually been i don't mind it i'm sort of I'm very. I'm trying to be a lot more like you know, strict about it. So yeah, I, I think it's a massive move from um, yeah. ITV and props to them actually. Uh, although I'm sure the contestants aren't as happy because I, I was reading an article where the the, uh, the increase in followers this season has not been as much, possibly because they're they're not having constant updates on their social media. Yeah, so far I, at least that'll def. I mean, also it's, it also helps with the argument. Well, you've come in here for love, so what do you need your Instagram account for? Right. Right. And also, Absolutely. to be fair, if you, like I don't look at it in massive detail, but I will tell you this. The, the Islanders, 90% plus of their followers come when they leave. People don't want ah. pictures of them in Love Island. They watch Love Island. So it's when they get yeah. out and they're like, what are they up to? Who are they dating? What shoes are they wearing? Etc. <laughs> etc. Cetera, so, et cetera. So, so wait, when you say you're being more strict with social media, do you mean more zen about it or just posting at specific times or just knowing what you're doing and not letting it become this sort of all-encompassing world that you never can leave and separate yourself from? I made, My sort of New Year's resolution this year was to hmm. make content rather than consume content. So like, rather than sitting on my phone for an hour, I'll just record a YouTube video or something. And that ended up going worse because then I was putting stuff up and then frantically going like, how's that done? And like, <laughs> what I've done now is I have, in my head, I have tried to repackage social media for what it is, which is a massive corporate conglomerate who are literally monopolizing our time, which is literally what mm-hmm. it is. So mm-hmm. you, whenever you're on your phone, it is not what you're worth or someone's real life. It is somebody who has given up their time for financial gain and all and the scary thing about like tiktok and stuff you've now got like billion pound companies who are every day working out how to make us give up more of our time because that's all they've got Mm. left they've got our information Mm. they've got our money but the the last thing (laughs) that's left is time so when you think it's like pretty it's horrible to think of it like that but when you think of it like that you know this is a thing that's designed to keep to keep me on it once you think Mm. of it that way and you can actually fight against it, I think you have a more healthy relationship with it. 
because I mean, you're right. It, it's it's quite terrifying. I was uh, reading an article about how uh, the 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 reason we scroll and scroll through TikTok is literally a physiological effect that it has on us, where you get a dopamine hit from like maybe the third video you watch, and then that dopamine hit, you continue to want that, so you carry on until you get the next hit, and it never ends. Like you oh. can, like in in theory, unless you have the power to go, what am I doing? You will do that forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, like literally, the do you know the sort of like the Twitter has that little click noise when you scroll to refresh it. That is literally mm. from a fruit machine. They use it. They are using. They use the same technology in gambling machines to keep people at the gambling. The lights. The lights. If you look at like if you go if you look at the gambling machines, the fruities as we call them, and I don't know what you call them, and not in Scotland. And casino. Well, they, they used to be called the, the one armed bandits, didn't they? Was a, a, I worked in a shop with a, a lady. Um, the the most the best thief in uh, the shop we worked in was called the One Arm Bandit. She used to have a she had a fake she put a fake arm. This is genuinely true. She put a fake arm what? in her jacket, and then she uh-huh. had a real arm in the jacket. Does that make sense? She'd zip her arm into the jacket, and yep. then have a fake arm in the jacket, so it looked like both her arms were out of the jacket. And then she'd pick things and hide them in her jacket. So she was called the one-armed bandit. She was like Rod Hull. But what a fantastic, right. um, what a fantastic ruse. It's a, it's a great ruse. It is a uh, great ruse. Anyway, the point I was trying to make is those yep. one-armed bandits are identical in display and colouring and noises to any social media platform. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's scary. And actually, I think we'll come back to this subject in a moment. Uh, first of all, though, I don't know if you're allowed to say, uh, you know, I'm looking to make a, a quick buck. Uh, who's going to win Love Island? Is it um, uh, is it Farm, Farmer Will and Jesse? Well, well, where we're standing mm-hmm. at the minute, they're um, on the ropes to use a, a boxing analogy. Go she's up. not yeah. happy at all. I don't think um, she's forgiven right. him, but then brings it up every couple of minutes. I don't know if you've ever been in that <laughs> position in your life. <laughs> so she's a, a, a yes. I'm just rather than, I'm not going to go down that wormhole, but yes, yes. yes let's. I mean, I, I mean, me, me neither. <laughs> so okay. So you're, you're saying you're not sure. That's your answer to who's going to win. You know, oh, if someone's I'll looking. Say, I'll say Will and Jesse. I can oh, say right. it because I've only I've only watched as much. I'm I'm going to go with. No, I'll go with. I think Sammy and Tom will win Love Island. Great. You heard it here. You heard it here first. Sammy oh and Todd. That was that Sammy reaction. I have never seen a man less bothered by Love Island in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sammy and Tom were and you literally went, right, okay. <laughs> hey, listen, right? I, 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 I am a good researcher, a good interviewer. I did my due diligence. I might not have known as much about Love Island 24 hours ago as I do today, but I, I know who Farmer Will is, so I understood that reference, and I think that counts for something, Ian, all right? I think that counts as thing. You I even looked. I, you even you even looked down like you were trying to like motivate yourself. You went, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you want to know, I was writing Sammy and Tom down on my little question sheet here, oh, so I can place cute. a bet later. <laughs> that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> anyway, look. Re- what I really wanted to talk about is is buffering. Hey, congratulations! Oh, what thank a sitcom. you, mate. Season two, uh, even better than season one. So, uh, if, if no one's seen it, this is a uh, this is a sitcom uh, you co wrote, co created uh, with Steve Bajaya. And um, I, uh, full transparency again, I did not know how autobiographical it was. I didn't, because of my, our age difference, I had no idea that you were a CBBC presenter and worked with a 
talking in inverted commas dog. Yeah. So yeah, once yeah. I discovered that, I was like, oh my God, how cathartic was this sitcom for you? It's really great, man. And what I really love about writing about your own life in sitcom form is you can mix you like your real truths up with complete um, nonsense and then nobody really knows what's real and what's not. So there's like, even as stand-up, there's stuff in that sitcom that I would never talk about as stand-up because I've got to say, oh, this is my story. Hmm. With the sitcom, there's stuff in there that's like really personal to me that I wouldn't share with anybody really. And at the same time, there's stuff that just absolutely didn't happen and no one will ever know. <laughs> so it's like really, it's, it's really so cathartic. And I had like, a, my kids' TV time was like so brilliant. But then you obviously on the way, I had like a really like, awful boss at one point who was like just like really horrible to everybody and like you, you just but then and then really nice moments like working with that puppet dog hacker the dog is like still some of my <laughs> favorite telly i've ever done you you'll know like yeah. live tv is just like the best man I mean, it's I I, I think it's a it's a very uh, a, a very accessible sitcom because I mean it has themes that are universal. It also has themes that I think really appeal to someone like me who's worked in in, in the TV world. The the the, the restaurant meeting you have uh, with the the commissioner of oh, the, yeah. the dating show. I've been in that meeting. It, it hit me. It hit me. Yeah, that's I love that episode actually because Vicky Patterson's in that episode, mm. um, and yeah. uh, obviously the crew are all sort of like do like scripted like dramas and sitcoms and all that. So they didn't really know Vic. And um, because of her, like, I, I'm guessing just like a natural lean towards it. And because of her like reality TV background, she just came out and like absolutely killed it. And they were like, oh, can you do it this way and a bit different? And you could see the crew were like, my God, this woman is like a phenomenal actor. And I was like, it felt really nice to put her in that environment and then have yeah. like camera crew being like, what you just, she she's learned her lines and like does them brilliantly and we can get her to put different emotion in it and stuff yeah she was really great in that and i think one of, one of the things that got me and and just so i'm not going to spoil anything because um because it's not finished on itv2 yet it's, it's, it's i think we're about two-thirds of the way through the yeah, series that, you, yeah. uh, you can watch the whole thing on um itvx uh which i've done uh, so you can uh, you can binge the the whole thing, but it's um it's the moment at the end, and I, like I said, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen. It. It's uh, the character Ashley uh, when she's writing the article about yeah. where she is in her life. Man, that that got me right here. Like yeah, if yeah. I'd been on my own, I would have cried. I can't cry in front of people, but it, I felt it coming. So it manages to bring this really heartfelt emotion to it. Is that the harder part to write for you and Steve? I actually think funny is the hardest, man. I want to. I will touch on this sort of thing when we get into films. Funny is the hard. Funny is the hardest thing to do. Funny is the hardest thing to perform. Funny is the hardest thing to write. I think it's more like the, the heartfelt bits are more. It takes like sort of bravery and the willingness to like give yourself up. Like if I look at someone like like writers that really inspire me, like like Michaela Cole or something, and I'm like hmm. like. But like what it must have taken to write about ex certain experiences and like give yourself wholeheartedly over to something. That's the tricky bit. Actual technique. Mm -hmm. I think convincingly being performing funny or writing funny is the hardest thing and horror. But we will probably get onto that in a minute. Okay. In a, in okay, a little good. minute. All right, good. Well, I mean, look, it is, uh, it's almost time to head to our virtual cinema. Is there any news on a season three yet? Because I feel there's so 
many places these characters can go. And there are, are there are a few uh, unanswered ends. Uh, is it that stage yet, yeah, or is it yeah, still I, up in there? Well, well, it's like everything. It sitcoms are so hard, like as in they just take ages. And like it's a, and it's actually it, it takes a lot to make it. I'd love to do another one. The thing about it is the the basic idea premise for the show is people that are locked in between that stage of like being a gr- growing up, like they've not they're loading into adulthood. Mm. And um, actually, in a, a sitcom premise, the, the the basic premise for a sitcom is you need people who are trapped together for whatever reason. That's why a sitcom works. And actually, with Buffering, we thought it was like a young person sitcom, but then we realized. The older they get and the less they've loaded into adulthood, the more isolated they become as a group of friends because their mm. mates will get married and have children and move to other and then so they'll become even more ice they'll become even more this conglomerate. So it actually works better as a sitcom when they're like older. And also, uh, my character's meant to be in his twenties because sitcoms take years to get commissioned and then we have to stop and we had to stop for two years for covid so it was like it was i think i was meant to be like 26 and we're like we're gonna have to make him 29 this is absolutely white and even that's a stretch man uh it's great do you know what it reminded me it plays on some of the themes of a sitcom i loved uh, uh spaced uh, you know that sort of that in between period bit when when people you know now now they're millennials where you just like trying to adult for the first time but you're not ready. I mean, I, basically, I think buffering is basically every character that Simon Pegg's played in a movie in a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> apart from apart from um, apart from Scotty, there oh, is actually, um, he's me. Yeah, okay, it works. It's every it's everyone. Yeah, because I was I was talking to someone about the World's End the other day, and I there's a there's a lot of Ian uh, in his character in the World's End that's sort of like not looking back and not really, you know, being very very cynical. Uh, oh, I wish if I yeah. had thought of that, that could have been it's that could have been my unpopular movie opinion. That's that's his that's their best movie i think the older you get the more the world's end appeals to you like i think Shaun of the dead is yes the the best but really the world's end has themes in it that you just sort of go yeah yeah that's more every day it's more and more my favorite more yeah, and more no my favorite. it was my it, i think it's funny you say that i think at the time i was living on my own in a bed set in queen's park and there mm. was a metal cage on my back door for security reasons, and I'd lost the key, and for about three months, had never bothered to speak to my landlord about getting another key. So I was literally caged <laughs> into a room. <laughs> which I'm telling you that just to give you a little idea of my mental headspace at the time. And I loved the world's end, shall we say? <laughs> oh, right. On that note, Ian, you're about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer. The hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Ian. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? I mean, I don't know if this is allowed, but I'm, if I go to the cinema, it's always, I only ever go to the cinema with my wife. I enjoy going mm-hmm. to the cinema with my wife because I'm a big crier and she doesn't get as mortified as anyone, as everyone else. <laughs> Um, but like I am a such a fan of solo cinema. You are you, you, you I, I, this is 
This is every human that has ever lived and is still living today, and you're saying no to all of them. Yeah, none. I'd rather <laughs> I'd I'd rather a spare seat than Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Okay. I mean, this is this is fine. It's your perfect cinema trip. And uh, are you sure you don't want I to take your lovely- I love going to the cinema on my own. I love being able to like- sit where I like. I love not having to like account for anyone. I love it. I love it. Okay. I just love it. I, I just want, I, I want to be absolutely certain, not another human being. I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to stick to my guns. Right. I'm flying solo. I'm flying right. solo in the cinema. There is no oh. better thing to do if you have a day mm. to yourself than going to the cinema on your own. So you're, you're going to the cinema on your own, Ian. There yeah. is a clock on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? Uh, I normally go morning. I normally go morning, so it's quiet. But actually, my favorite time to go to the cinema. I like like I like the. I'd go. I'm saying I'm going to say like nine twenty p.m. Okay. I love the feeling. Do you know when I love when you go to a cinema that's in like a massive mall, and you mm. go into the cinema and it's like busy and populated and then you watch a film and you're like consumed by this world and then you come out and it feels like there's been like a zombie apocalypse and now the mall's empty and it's like nearly midnight and there's no one there it's such a cool <laughs> cool feeling do you know that do you know that, do you know what i'm talking about yeah. when you like come I, out of I, cinema? I, I get it completely it, it goes it, it goes from sort of you know a, a regular day to you know dawn of the dead or yeah. uh, you know 28 days later i love that i love that now I'm just just throwing this out there. So you, you were going at nine twenty, nine twenty. That's a that's a fairly busy screening. Evening is much more popular than morning. So you are going to be in a room with a lot of people, uh, but you like going on your own. So you like going with people. You just don't want to have to engage with those humans. I don't want to feel a pressure to entertain another. I don't want. I don't like the feeling of someone else's evening riding on me being a good person to be around that is too much pressure for me okay that's why i like okay. birthdays that's why i like birthdays not christmas christmas has stressed me out because i'm always like what if someone's got me a better present than i got them what if someone's yeah. got me a present whereas a birthday you're like there's your present i'm getting nothing back no worries Oh, I, I, the psychology behind this is, is fascinating. So you just you don't like ever being in debt to a person. You like Not to in always debt. Be I don't in like. I I feel bad for that person. That that I feel too much pressure because I want I want that person to have a nice time. But this is. I, I guess this is what I mean. You you don't want to be an emotional emotional debt to that person. If someone gets you a, a better present at Christmas, you feel like emotionally you are in debt to them. So you have to you have to make up the financial difference in it being that entertaining, whatever yes. monetary value that is. Yes, and I am I am entertaining for monetary value for a job. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally okay. my job. Right, yeah, yeah. So, based, so th this is all based around the fact you don't want to feel like you're at work. Well, can I? If it's my dream cinema, can I go to a night screening? But there's no one there. Sh sure, sure. Let's do that. Yeah, of course. This is becoming so much more sadder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> this is a safe space. In there is no judgment here. Right. No judgment. Okay. So you're going on your own at nine twenty <laughs> to an entirely 
empty cinema. Oh uh, my you booked, god! <laughs> you you booked the tickets for this trip. Uh, so ticket. where are we? Ticket. Apologies. You booked. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 this is this is how rare a circumstance we're dealing with. I'm, I, I've, oh, I'm, no. I'm, need, <laughs> I'm oh, needing to no. come off script. You've booked a ticket for oh this god. cinema trip. Where in the auditorium of all the empty seats are you picking to sit? No, the way this is going, I'm going to, I'm, I just want to sit on the floor in silence. <laughs> and I want, to, I want them to have not tidied it from the screening before so all the old popcorn sticks in my back. No. Um, I don't even want them to play a film. I just want to sit in a dark room. What do you do? What I would do the same thing everyone does in a quiet cinema. It's the absolute best feeling in the world when you know you're not getting checked on. Is you buy a normal ticket, mm. and then I'd sit in the posh seats in the middle. Yeah, okay. but you know when it's so, a, when it's a film and it's already been out a couple of months, and you know no ushers coming in to check, mm. so you just sit on those like, more expensive ones. Thirty percent more comfort without having paid thirty percent more. Yeah, and also I'd like to make it clear that. If mm. I was in an independent cinema, I would pay for the classier seat. So the Dominion okay. in Edinburgh, for example. If I was there, I'd be I'd pay double to help them out because they're fantastic. Was that was that your local cinema growing up, the Dominion yeah. in Edinburgh? Is that yeah, way? yeah, yeah. What is have you and ever have you ever in Edinburgh? It's genuinely one of the greatest cinemas in in the UK. It's amazing. Why? Why? I've 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 never I've spent a lot of time like like yourself at the Fringe. Uh, you you never you... went Dominion all the time. You done the Fringe. I, I feel embarrassed now. Now I feel I I feel like I, I feel shame. I feel shame. Uh, what to tell? So it is a, a completely independent, completely cinema, independently it, it... owned cinema. Um, everyone, the ushers, not wear the proper like red velvety old schooly oh, vibes. Wow. The popcorn is on one of the cast iron wheelie in proper old school popcorn things. Um, oh. They've got some normal. They've got some normal big screens with seats, but most of them are sofas in a room, like cinema sofas. It's just so nice. You can rent out rooms in there for fairly affordable. We done that. My friends, we've all got little children now. So hmm. last Christmas we rented out a room in the cinema because that way we could all our children could run feral and we weren't annoying anyone uh, that wasn't our our friend. I wasn't our immediate friends. Ship oh. circle. That's considerate. That's considerate. Um, okay, so you cut your teeth as a stand-up at the, at the Fringe, didn't you? Because just to add a timeline to a, a conversation we were having earlier, like before the, uh, the, the, the BBC job came along, um, a scoop and, and all of that, you were, you were, you were a, a stand-up purist. You, yes. that, was, that was what you wanted to do. Yes. I thought I was going to be the next Bill Hicks, and then within eight months I was dressed as Shakespeare's wife walking down Stratford-upon-Avon, singing a song about um, the the poems Shakespeare wrote. How was, how? in all honesty, how was that transition? Because I imagine it's like, you know, it is a, it's a sharp right. I, I, really, I really loved it. I think getting that job, I was only six months into stand-up and I was like 20 years old. So I mm. wish, looking back, I wish I had realised how lucky I'd got to get that. Because, I mean, when you're 20, it's funny. I used to get jealous of, like, mad stuff. Like, my friends who were comedians would all go to the cinema during the day. But I worked Monday yeah. to Friday. And I got so jealous of that. And now, in hindsight, I realized my mates went to the cinema during the day. 
because they had no work. They were skint and were so bored. Mm. But in yeah. my head, I was like, all oh, these cool comedians are going to the cinema and they're going to do like new material at this room above a pub. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm literally there going, and I'm bloody stuck doing telly, like which is what <laughs> they're all trying to get. So, um, <laughs> yeah. but it was, but oh, but then also, I, even when I was doing it, the reason I'd done it for so long is from the minute I started working with Phil, who is Hacker the Dog, we yep. lived together as well. Like we just got on so well, and we had such a laugh. So I was also was fully aware of the fact I was like. There can't be many jobs where you like actually genuinely have such a laugh and love doing it every day. So I'm glad I did. I I was also great, like really grateful. But it is mad. Mm. Like there was also a part of me that was like, wait, especially when you start doing stand up, you you when you first do stand up, it's always a bit rude and controversial because you just want a reaction from an audience and a oh I can't believe he said that is much easier to get than a laugh. So all the norm, all I'm not, I'll not say any of them, but you know all the normal touchstones that comedians first joke about because they just want yeah. the <gasps> from a crowd. So yeah. I was also yeah. doing that and like and then going to bed and then getting up and going to do kids TV, which was a, a bit insane, but I got around there. And you did you no you no one ever no one ever leaned on you and went ah you you can't do both the idea of being on kids TV and 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 doing stand up and there was never uh, there was never a point at which. I think I was lucky because social media was so in its infancy, like, or more that social social media existed, but it was literally social media then. So it was uh-huh. a way to communicate with your friends. And I feel like Twitter was the first thing where it was like, oh, celebrities are giving opinions and doing stuff. So when I got a Twitter account, that's when it became difficult because then it was... Uh, I'm. Uh, they were basically like, you either talk about being a stand-up or you talk about doing a, being a kids' TV presenter. And I made, I just, but then I, I never talked about kids TV on my social media when I done kids TV, because then I didn't want kids coming to my social media. And then, but also I'm so glad I done, I was doing kids TV when social media came around because I didn't put anything insane on social media because yeah. I was a kids TV <laughs> yeah. presenter. And even looking yeah. back, I still put stuff up then that I wouldn't put up now. And I was a kids TV presenter. That's how like far we've come with our like, way of looking at social media and stuff what what a, what a good training ground for not like shooting yourself in the foot early on in your career being a kids tv presenter and understanding you know the the rules because you know what especially i went down a youtube wormhole um uh, of your old uh, uh scoop stuff last night i was watching it right, i was, yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. after finishing buffering i was like oh my god and it just brought back a lot of nostalgia for me from you know watching children's tv presenters when i was a kid and there was something there was something really, it was a very safe space for a kid to watch a kid's TV presenter. And the way kids imbibe information now, social media included, and, and YouTube channels like dedicated to kids who have been kind of monetized by their parents to appeal to other kids, mm-hmm. it, feels, it feels a little bit lawless, like a little bit like the Wild West. I would, my big thing with kids TV, I would urge anyone with a kid, and I'm saying this not as a parent, I'm saying this as someone that's worked at Children's BBC. Do Try and get your kids to watch children's television over YouTube and all that whenever you can for the simple reason of, as we touched on earlier, YouTube's primary goal is to keep people watching YouTube. That is literally YouTube's aim. Anyone with a YouTube channel, their goal is to get more minutes watched so they get more sponsor revenue. The BBC's goal 
is to entertain, educate, yada, yada, yada. They've got protocols they need to follow. Except, so they're, they're sort of foundations of what is being what is being aimed at is so much better if you watch telly. That's why mm. I, I think, and also telly, I love, there's something about telly that I do love. So yeah, I would always, I would really, really urge anyone, think of what, that your kid's watching and what that show is trying to achieve. And I think that's really important. And also, I, and I, I really want to make it clear that I'm not saying that as a condescending parent. Anyone that's a parent, <laughs> you're smashing it. There's no right yeah. or wrong way to do it. It's really tricky and it's really amazing. Um, but as someone that's worked in television and worked on YouTube and worked on that, show your kids kids TV whenever you can. It's just better. Yeah, and I mean, I, I also it's it was on. I remember as a kid, it started at like I don't know three thirty and yeah. finished the minute that the neighbors theme came on, and then I was done. That was TV until maybe Doctor Who later on. But apart from that, was when I was a bit older. But like there was a regimented time where you watched TV, and then you were you were it was out. I was yeah, out. exactly. I mean, like yeah, and then also CBBS is even mental. It's CBBS at seven o'clock. They go right time for bed, everyone, and then it slowly <laughs> fades down, and you can even see. Like in a child, the child's like, okay, then. Blah. If you've got your kid on an iPad and you press pause, <laughs> that is not the response you get. It's like you've, t- it's like you've taken drugs off a crackhead. It's absolutely <laughs> wild. <laughs> oh, um, hey. We need to get back to the cinema because Sorry, yeah. uh, we, we need to leave the foyer. Uh, before we leave the foyer, though, it's full of wonderful smells. There's every manner of food stuff available at the various counters. What are you going to choose to eat? Um, I mean, I could. Cinema food is the best food in the w- whole wide world. Um, like, mm. I would never buy a hot dog from a random stall in the middle of like London or whatever. But I'm. <laughs> I'm having that hot dog and I'm having mustard and ketchup. And I never don't like mustard really, but something about a cinema hot dog. But the most elite food that you can get in a cinema is the blue and purple cola bottles. (laughs) The sour blue and purple cola bottles are the most elite sweets to have ever existed. And I'm I'm having like a bag of them. They're good. They're good. And yeah, a, a hot dog. You, I mean, you've lived in London uh, for a good while. You don't see them anymore, but you remember those hot dog vendors that used to be on uh, street corners and, and they'd be they'd be frying hot dogs. And, you know, it'd be like two in the morning, you'd be like, oh, I want one of those. They smell great. And then you'd look behind where the, the person's standing. There's no refrigeration unit. There's barely there's barely any gas heating them. It's like a clipper lighter heating the whole tray that they're sizzling on. And you're like, I mean, this is... This is not a good idea, but I'll take two. I once two. ordered one of those. I once ordered one of those hot dogs, and he poured the hot dog out of the bag. And do you know the sort of like residuey liquid that's in the bag mm. with the hot dogs that um, dripped into his um, his his barbecue thing, and then it put out the light, and he couldn't get the thing <laughs> to go back on. And I've never felt more like the Lord was looking down on me. Going, not tonight, son. You're about to end your week with us. Save yourself. Um, are you having a drink? Yes. What is it? It's lager. Oh, okay. Nice lager in the cinema. On That's my own. Great. Little lager on yep. my own, please. I mean, I'm down with this. I'm down with this. 
lager, hot dog, and also ketchup. do you know in the cinema they do the what I love about the cinemas they do the three thirty. Most cinemas do the three thirty bottles or the six sixty bottles. Yeah, so I'm getting myself a. I'm I'm going six sixty. There, well, you because then you don't have to go up halfway through. You don't want to miss a part of the movie. You want, oh, you want that getting, lager to last. Oh, we're getting up. <laughs> we're getting up halfway through for our six sixty, please. Thank you. <laughs> uh, popcorn, sweet or salted? I'm going mix. I'm going both. Sure, it's the it's statistically is the most popular choice we have on the show. Uh, a mix of both. Uh, can I ask why you just like the variety? Yeah, I, I, salted's better. I think I, I, I'm not even saying that as an opinion. I think salted popcorn is better. But it's sometimes I like the sometimes I, it's exciting, isn't it? When you oh, what's going to happen next? That's what sure. I think it is, and it's like a nice compliment. And do you like the kernels in the bottom? Do you like no, the crunch I, on no, those? I, I, I always worry about my teeth with those things. I like putting them yeah. in my mouth, and then they, they go until they go like all soggy, and then I don't know what to do with them really. <laughs> what, what what do you do with them? Uh, I eat them. There's probably well, okay, the most. Uh, that's probably the best answer to give on a podcast that's available to the well, public. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I'd worry that someone would be sitting next to you and suddenly, like, they're watching, you know, an emotional scene in the new Christopher Nolan movie, and, like a spittoon. Like, like just, yeah, <laughs> loads of um, was it, where is it? Where is it? Where did we? I go. Oh, there's like a, there's a. It was, it was an, it's like it was Eastern Europeany. We went to see a football match, and they were all eating um these nuts, but they they would just spit out the shells. Not sunflower seeds where you crack Something open like the that, yeah. yeah. Honestly, yeah. the whole floor, and it wasn't just, it was like hundreds of men just <laughs> all game. Right, it's time to leave the foyer and walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. We're going to be putting up posters along the cinema wall that depict some of your most important movie memories. The first poster shows your fondest movie memory. Oh man, I'm, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Um, Dominion Cinema in Edinburgh. I just moved. I moved to London around the time the Lord of the Rings became massive, and they became my family Christmas movie. So when I came home for Christmas, my mum, my dad, me, and my sister would watch uh, the Lord of the Ring films. And it's that rare, knowing that rare moment, whether it's a family, a friendship group, whatever it is, when you all find something that you're all into equally, it's like yeah. so good. So we, yeah, we'd go and watch the Lord of the Rings at the cinema every Christmas. And it sort of sums up my family Christmases. Cause like we'd have like, we have like Chinese takeaways back in the day on Christmas day and stuff. We're not really yeah. like, we're pretty, as you probably get talking to me, we're pretty un, like, we're not massively conventional and so, like, yeah, Lord of the Rings, Chinese takeaway. That is literally my Christmas. Lovely stuff. Chinese takeaway on Christmas Day. What a dream. Because, like, cooking on Christmas Day, I, as someone who's done that for the last four years, is a, a hellish experience. Yeah. We, we only, my mum will probably want me to clarify that we've we done that once. But <laughs> right, we got, right. we got, <laughs> but we've done other things similar. But turkey chow mein, no cleaning up. Everyone got, my sister was like a bit of a fuss eater when she was like a young teen. So, like, uh -huh. why would you cook a turkey for someone to not eat it to then have to, like, put it all up? No. She got sweet and sour. I got a turkey chow mein. Lovely. That's nice. That's nice. Uh, so your favourite Lord of the Rings movie, um, in terms of, like, the memory of watching it with your family, was there one that stuck out? Yeah. I mean, slightly – I'm a massive gamer as well. So it's the, the Lord of the Rings Two Towers is maybe the best video game ever made for the PlayStation 2 as well. 
So like I'm I'm also slightly that's in there as well. If you in terms of nostalgia, the game, the film, everything. Uh, yeah, it's got the best battle in. I'd agree. Oh that, my god, uh, Helm's Deep is like the the moment that you like. Oh wow, that explosion of the wall when they finally breach it and it's all in slow motion. You watch the rubble. It's like as a bit of an action junkie, I'm like, oh great. Is him? Am I? I always conflate them. Is Helm's Deep battle the one where um, uh, Gimli and they're they're having the, they're they're counting how many orcs they've killed to one another whilst they're doing the fight scene. That's my favorite fight scene in Lord of the Rings. Actually, it, that it, that is that is Helm's Deep. Yes, that is Helm's Deep because it's also got the moment where he's like, "Throw me." Sorry, oh I'm yeah, doing, I'm doing no, no. I, I, he's saying, don't, does he not get really embarrassed? He's like, he's like, he's like, doesn't want thrown because it's like really emasculating. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a good film. It's such a good film. Oh, yeah. All right, brilliant. That is your first movie memory poster. We're putting up the poster for Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Okay, we move further down the corridor. The second poster I'm going to put up depicts your worst movie memory. It's it's trick. I mean, worst movie memory and worst Mm. movie are very different things, aren't they? Uh, well, my, my worst movie memory is very simple. Teenage boy, my friend uh-huh. was going on a date with a girl, and she was bringing her other friends. She was uh, the girl was from an all girls private school, so when you grow up where I grew up, that was like meeting like a sort of um, a mystical beast, a unicorn, like a unicorn, right. <laughs> a posh girl that isn't doesn't think I'm going to rob her wallet. This is incredible. <laughs> And and they were he went. So she's bringing two friends, so he brought me. So like statistically, I'm going to meet two girls. So I might even get like a little kiss or something. And we and he went. We're going to see the film. She said we're going to see the film Shocker. And I was like, that sounds so much like a film I want to see. I'm in. Got into the cinema. The two girls didn't speak to me the whole time, and it wasn't Shocker. It was the film Chocolat. <laughs> Which, as a 13-year-old boy sitting next to two girls not speaking to him, is the worst film you could watch in the entire bloody world. It was so bad. I've never seen it since, but in my head, that film is the worst thing that's ever happened to cinema. So wait, did your, did your friend know that they were going to see he Chocolat? He-, he must have misheard her. Because he he, we were 13 and 14, so he's not, there's no way he's clever enough to trick me. He must have just literally misheard her. She's posh as well, so you put, do you know what I mean? She probably put in a French Shock. accent or something. <laughs> and, and 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 that was it. Did obviously you didn't have a, a great experience. The girls didn't talk to you. Did he at least um, um, get a kiss from uh, from from the girl who uh, mispronounces uh, Shocker? Yeah, he got like he got um, he got he um, lost his VL as we called it when when I grew up. Virgin, we used to call people VLs, virgin lips. So if you if you hadn't kissed anyone yet, you were a VL. He lost oh, his VL. That's nice. I think that's kind of sweet. It's sweet coming from a 14-year-old boy. It's not ideal coming <laughs> from a 35-year-old man <laughs> who's just admitted he wants to go to the cinema on his own and drink lager. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm going to put up a poster, not for Shocker, uh, but because uh, when you said that, I was like, oh, man, I don't think I know that movie. But I, I, also, not- I also d- said that on purpose because I literally watched your face being like, a film I've yeah. not heard of? What? What is this? It must be like a fin- it must be like a Finnish indie number or something. 
Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was fear you saw, Ian, fear. Uh, right then, let's move down the corridor. Our third poster that we're going to put up depicts the last performance that brought you to tears. Yeah, it's very easy because it's really, it's really um, modern. It happened like literally a couple of weeks ago. The new, um, the the new Tom Hanks one. What's it called again? A man called Otto. Well, considering, considering, considering the fear that you just saw for the movie Shocker, I haven't. I'm going to just completely clean. I haven't seen a man called Otto, so you're going to need to tell me a little bit about it um, and and why it made you cry. It's beautiful, man. It's genuinely one of the one of the one of my favorite films of like the last five years. I, I've, it was. It's just a like it's phenomenal. Tom Hanks' shock horror is like phenomenal in it. It's like really. Imagine the first ten minutes of Up, but mm. with actual people for an entire film. <laughs> Whoa. That almost feels like too much because that first that mon- that the up montage is the moment that you go, ah, oh, well, I'm definitely still alive. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's literally it's it's amazing. Like, I can't recommend it enough, man. It's that. And I, at one point, I was with my wonderful wife Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I had to like actually put down the drink I was drinking because I was sobbing. <laughs> I couldn't like hold the the drink. And also it was one of those amazing moments where me and Laura had been out in Edinburgh and we were just walking around Edinburgh really late at night and we we just walked past the cinema. So we were like, oh, we'll just go and see a film. Uh, and it like we just went and randomly, a man called Otto, I was like, I don't really want to see like a, a heartfelt Tom Hanks film at like 11 o'clock at night on a Friday. But Laura's like, you can have your 660 mil b- beer. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. <laughs> And it's just, honestly, that's the best way I can describe it. And it's so beautiful and, like, also plays a man that lives on his own and he meets a family who, like, bring out this side of him. And, oh, oh, oh man, that's so good. It sounds good. I mean, you've sold, you've sold me on it. I'm definitely going to watch that. Um, so and, and, and did Laura cry as well? Do you both cry or is it mainly you who cries? I am. Laura is a crier. I think, <clears> I mean, you can't say that someone doesn't cry. I think that's, like, I think <laughs> yeah, that's, sure. a, that's, a worry. that's a worry, isn't it? I'm the emotional one. I will cry at I will cry at anything. I like I'll be sitting with our little one, like crying at like the El- like Elmo's world. So like I, I anything can set me off, really. Um so Laura stays strong for the both of us sometimes. <laughs> She's the rock. Okay, I got you. I got you. So a man called Otto is the third poster we're putting up, and our final poster before we enter the auditorium depicts your unpopular movie opinion my unpopular movie opinion is the only reason horror films don't get nominated for oscars is because everyone in the movie industry is a massive elitist snob (laughs) okay explain i think horror is the hardest genre to do right because it's so easy to get wrong and horror films that are done well are phenomenal and like the, the the first saw film is art like it's incredible and it is much better than like oh i don't know most other films but it will never be recognized as such because people are too uppity to sort of like admit that it, that is a difficult thing to do convincingly 
It's strange, isn't it? A horror is a is nuanced, niche for a. I mean, not 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 made for mass appeal. It, some, some. I mean, don't get me wrong. The problem is ninety percent of them are awful. But I love a love an awful horror film. Wrong Turn <laughs> Two is one of the best things to happen in <laughs> cinema ever. <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong turn two is good uh tell me some are, are there apart from saw are there some recent horror movies wrong turn two aside that you really feel that you've watched and then were in a state of disbelief that they weren't recognized something like the, something like the babadook is so good the perform like performances in that great i really mm. like babadook do you know what's like mm. do you know again it's a great horror film but again it's sort of like mass appeal one but like cabin in the woods oh what a like what a film, right? I mean, uh, it's genuinely one of the one of the greatest. Forget the fact it's even horror. One of my favorite movies from the last sort of ten years, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. The ending to Cabin in the Woods should be awful. It's a terrible ending, but it like works. And they've got not yeah. as much. It, there's not they've not got the budget really. Yeah, it's just I just love it. Maybe maybe my unpopular opinion is like I like horror films. That <laughs> is you better frame it the way I did. I think. Um, the bit in Cabin in the Woods where the lift doors open and all hell comes out, it, and like the unicorn is like gouging someone's heart out. I was just this. It, oh it was, my I, god! I, I almost cry with joy, tears of joy at that. Okay, Cabin so in the Woods. We, by which, the way, if anyone's having a, a Halloween night, get your friends round the house. And cabin in the woods with your mates, especially if you you need one at least one person in the room who hasn't seen it. The, surely the most joyful thing is watching someone realize like a film for the first time with a, like the a, a twist. Mm. There's a comedian yeah. called Adam Hess who's got an amazing story about he was on a plane. I think he was flying to Australia like far. And then literally the best part of his journey, he was sat next to a guy who was watching The Sixth Sense for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And he was like, that wow. was the best part of the flight, man. Uh, all right. So what would you like me to put up as a poster to depict your unpopular movie opinion, which is that horror is not recognized because people behind the scenes in the movie industry and awards bodies are snobs. It's got to be wrong. To it's got to be wrong. Turn two, please. Yeah, that that'll send a message to them. Wrong turn two. Yeah. Uh, all right then, we've arrived at the last set of doors. I'd normally ask if you want to let the crowd who have gathered here into the auditorium. Don't eat, Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't even have to answer. I'm turning them away. It's just you. I'll, can I have? Can I have just a a a, lar, a six sixty bottle of Cronenberg just left, so I don't have to go back yeah. down the corridor again. Oh, yeah, it's in an ice bucket next to your seat. Yes! It's all set up for you. Oh, it's perfect. Right. The first thing we're going to play, now you've taken your seat in this empty auditorium, is the trailer for the film that you're most looking forward to. What trailer are we playing? I quite like the look of it. I don't know if it's out yet, though. That new Adam Driver one. The, um, the, 65, 65 million years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where he's fighting dinosaurs. Yes! Right, I'm going to pick that. <laughs> I'm going to choose Adam Driver in 65 million years ago. Because, no, no, I mean, that film is so exciting to me because you know how um, I, I know a few actors and they always say um, <laughs> the rule for a year is one for the soul, one for the bank balance. And then <laughs> I can't wait to watch Adam Driver be interviewed about that film. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it, 
it's so mad because he's he's you know marriage story all these like adam driver adam driver kind of movies like noah baumbach movies and then you sort of go is that adam driver shooting a t-rex <laughs> uh all right that is the trailer we're playing i it's i think it's just called 65 uh because you know that sounds cooler is it called 65 it's called 65 yeah yeah oh my good god uh right then i'm excited to hear what you've got for this one we're going to play next your favorite shot or sequence from a film what are we playing right i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with my favorite scene from a film is a hundred million percent uh, the opening scene in Social Network. It's been a while. Remind me what happens. Fade to black. He starts talking about the Ivy League elite clubs. Comes up, wide shot. They're in a bar. Him and his girlfriend are talking. It then moves into meds cross-shooting the entire time. So they're having this chat about um, how there's more people with high IQs in China than there is like people with any sort of IQ in uh, America. And then his girlfriend sort of replies and he's constantly changing the subject. And the use of like the use of like a close-up and a mid shot is used so well because every close-up in that scene sets up an important part in the film. There's only one like extreme close-up in the middle of that scene where he just mentions his friend, who then obviously goes on to be the guy that he creates Facebook with. And then the way that it's shot, in my memory, I don't know if you had the same thing, I hadn't watched it in so long. I imagined the camera was panning, like, panning around them, moving, but it's not. It's uh-huh. locked off shots, but it's so quickly done. And then once they establish everything so well through dialogue at the start of that scene, and you never see the bar again, but that wide shot at the start, it's just in your head, they're in a bar. It's so, so nicely done. And then they get in this re- big argument. And then there's an amazing this. bit at the end where she goes, they break up and she goes, um, uh, you're going to go for your life thinking girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know that isn't the case. <laughs> girls don't, don't like you because and then it's the first shot of her the first shot shot you get of her in the whole film is because you're a fucking asshole and then black <laughs> next scene yeah yeah it's i remember so the good. end yeah if you're a big fan of like telling stories like i've not really done it justice there but like honestly watch that opening scene and watch how they say all the information like two or three times and they always get it on a close and it just every like literally there's three stories in that film and they deal with all three of them in that opening 10 minutes and it's interesting and you totally get that he's this like egomaniac socially inept loser oh it's just so perfect it's so perfect i love it we're playing the opening scene from the social network now ian um normally at this stage uh you'd have very kindly printed out t-shirts as a gift for our audience however as you're on your own you've very kindly printed yourself a t-shirt with your favorite movie quote on the front what's your favorite movie quote how do you like them apples (laughs) yeah i mean goodwill hunting how do you like them apples i mean you can pay off yeah, you could pick so many. Good, you could pick so many from um, Goodwill Hunting. It's like an absolute quote machine, isn't it? Tell me, tell me why why that quote appeals to you particularly. I love the vi- I love the victory of uh, Will Hunting in that in that scene. I love the bit, the bit before when he's uh, the posh guy from the the school is trying to embarrass Ben Affleck's character, and he and then. Will comes over and like sh- it highlights that like everything 
that he's learned is like from a book and he's got no original thoughts in his head. And like then to then get Mini Driver's number and then to find them all sitting there and to slam the number on the... <laughs> And like, I, I I don't know if it's a clear from the past hour, but I didn't have like the best of time uh, at school uh, in terms of being, getting along with people. So like, obviously uh-huh. there's like this sort of bullied kid in me that's like, yeah, fuck you, man. So like, I really, I really love it. So it's like, that's probably, it's probably the victory of it. And he does it so cool as well. Like he doesn't like, I would have ran into the room and go like, I got her number, but he does it so good. Such a cool guy. <laughs> oh, uh, that is uh, the the whole uh, not being the popular kid. You know, experiencing bullying at school is why I love that quote as well. I mean, I was. I. I, I mean, I don't know what your story is. I'm. Uh, but school was quite tough. Uh, yeah. For for me, I. You know, a part of it I brought on myself. I was the only kid in a a, a two thousand pupil comprehensive school to carry a briefcase. So uh, so you know, in many ways, it's a target. Yeah, I was. Um, I went to school a two thousand, a very large school in Edinburgh, where everyone was into sort of um, Levi jeans and dance music, and I went in in um, like a pair of like Vans and painted my nails black with a Slipknot T-shirt. So again, you're gonna, you're gonna, I've, I've, <laughs> to give the bullies their credit, I put my head above the parapet. Oh yeah, yeah. and I played the violin, and I, I had a violin as well. <laughs> Yeah, I had a clarinet. Wow. Oh, my God, yeah. Lord. <laughs> a briefcase and a clarinet. So you, did that mean you had to double briefcase, essentially, some days? Because the clarinet <laughs> comes in a sort of mini briefcase. <laughs> Two briefcases. Like you just said, I, 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 I can't really fault them for, for you know, for, for their hard you work. Went, on- you went to a 2,000-kid comprehensive double, double briefcase. <laughs> Yeah, I'd never thought of it like that before. Yeah, yeah. Did you not? Was there no one else there who liked Slipknot and had uh, painted nails? Chel, Chel, a girl called Chelsea. One time we um, we could wear whatever we wanted to school, and I wore baggy jeans and like skater shoes and a, I think it was a Papa Roach hoodie. And the guy yep, nice. that was in my football team came up to me and went, "You've let the school down." Oh wow! What a weird thing to say, eh? That's very specific bullying. That is not like you look like an idiot, like a twat, mm. nothing like that. It's like <laughs> I'm representing the school. And yeah, and, and that, that's and I'd let the school down, and that's coming from a man that probably been suspended about nineteen times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, school! Uh, right, finally, just before we announce the movie you've picked for us tonight, we're going to play your favorite song or soundtrack from a movie. What are we listening to? I'm 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 worried this is going to be um, not a, a, like original or whatever, but um, it's probably Drive. Uh, do you want to know whether it's said before, or would you yeah, like to not I, know? Well, I think I it's... think the question I think the question will be how many times has it been said before? Weirdly, it's only been said once before. Where uh, this is uh, this is episode twenty three, I believe it's been said once before. So it's a it's a one in twenty three. Can I pick another one then? I mean, you can have Drive. Drive's the coolest, best music one by a country mile right. for nostalgic, mm-hmm. actually like literally shaped the baggy jeans and my music taste. Um, American American Pie, the the soundtrack, not the film. 
<laughs> that that film has not aged well. <laughs> what 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 do you mean, Ian? Is it them using a webcam to spy on a girl getting un, <laughs> un, un, undressed? Is that would, would that be one of the, the the real problematic elements to American Pie? That's one of the least problematic parts of that film, probably. <laughs> Yeah, no, but the soundtrack, like all that, um, basically all that pop punk is basically like, that's that American Pie soundtrack is basically the music I listen to still today. Yeah, I I mean, I don't remember the American soundtrack, uh, American Pie soundtrack, but if it is the music that you and possibly and and I still listen to today, are we we talking the likes of Sum 41, Blink 182, uh, any any number, any numbers band from uh, the late Uh, 90s, early 2000s? um, yeah, pretty fly for a white guy. Um, oh, offspring. Yep, the offspring. Yep. All that, all yep. them. Honestly, it's just that. And it is great for it. So well, what you mean is that soundtrack encapsulates uh, the greatest period for music in the history of music, in my I humble would, opinion. I would, Naughty's pop punk is as good as it got. Fact. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You watch some of those old Offspring videos now, though, and they're they're, they're full of scantily clad women, and you're like, but you were sort of ag- against that. And it's like the first video, you go, right, you're being ironic. You're you're parodying yeah, the hip hop yeah, yeah. genre, but it's like we're six videos in now, and that's still your thing. I don't know that that argument carries no, weight anymore. I th- if I'm being completely honest, this is what I think happened. They made the first one ironic, funny, funny, haha. Then they got mm. successful and realized, oh, these sexy ladies will like talk to us and be our friends. So let's just make more videos with them in it, is what I think happened. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Um, fine. We are going to listen to the American Pie soundtrack, but not watch the film. Big, big, big. That's a, and that is a big thing that I'd like to make very clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unless you're about to say American Pie to my next question, we are not watching American Pie. It is now time to announce to this excited audience of you in this packed auditorium of you what movie you have picked out of all others for us to watch. And by us, I again mean you. What's the film? It is Goodwill Hunting. It is Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, my favorite film of all time. Wow. So, I mean, we talked about some of the themes. Tell me, tell me the first time you saw Goodwill Hunting. I watched it in my flat at university with my flatmate Scott. We used to watch films on a sat every Saturday night because obviously Saturday is the most expensive night of the week to go out drinking. So that would be our like night off drinking. Loads of great films. And we watched that and we both like loved it. He's now instead he is now a full-on academic, but he's one of the people at uni, he like he would like read Winston Churchill's speeches and like know all the American presidents and like that he'd listen to like famous speeches in his room and he was in so he loved the whole um academia side of it. I again loved the whole like guy that was like secretly a genius on the wrong side of the tracks. And I was like, like and the idea of him trying to fit between two worlds. Cause I think that's what I touched on with school. I would like be at home and I'd be this like guy that was into, like skating and like listen to pop punk and be all that then i'd have then i'd go to school and be this guy that wore like ben sherman shirts and liked football and i'd try and live this life and i was like oh my god i am will hunting even though the whole time i was clearly a ben affleck's character and didn't want to admit it but the but the point is i just saw that and i just love it and like there's so many amazing quotes in it there's like Three of the best scenes in television um, in film are in that 
uh, movie, like the Which ben, three? Aff- ben Affleck and Will Hunting when they're uh, they're on their lunch break at the construction site, and um, Will Hunting says to him that he's going to be here in like thirty years time, and he's like, "If you're here in thirty years time, that is an insult to all of us that work here." It's like an incredible scene. Do you, do yeah. you know, I, this might be folklore, but do you know an interesting thing about that scene? Go on. When they went in for a meeting with Mirror Max, who made Goodwill Hunting, Mirror Max said, oh, we love the film, but in, it's a bit weird in that scene when they like get into the car with each other and like start kissing. And that's why, do, have you heard this? This is, yeah, this is... The, is this the, true I, I, or is it like a folklore thing? I'm... No one's ever said we made that up. So as I think the story goes, it was, uh, yeah, they they had a a gay kissing scene that they put in the middle of the screenplay that was sat awkwardly with the rest of the screenplay. And it was their way of testing whether people had actually read the screenplay. Because if if they, they knew immediately that someone hadn't read it and was just fobbing them off, if they didn't go, great script, there's a weird moment where they kiss. Yeah, and it's in that. It's meant to have been in that scene. I think someone told me in the original when they, they were, I mean, this is why these things get out of hand. Is like they're they're meant to have had the kiss. They get on top of the car and have the kiss. <laughs> yeah, a, that film. There's that scene. One incredible. It's not your fault. Absolutely yep. in, incredible. Like, like, and then how? And then the whole scene where Will Hunting confronts the the snobby educated guy in the bar. The, those are those are three insane scenes from films, and they're all in the same movie. Yeah, and Robin Robin Williams. I wow. I mean, just I, I once remember interviewing Matt Damon about that film, and I, you could see him get. You know, this was after Robin Williams had uh, obviously passed, and just watching Matt Damon talk about working with him on that film, and the you know, just getting emotional remembering working with him because it's just such an astonishing performance, unbelievable performance, and also they wrote that script so young. And I remember in a Robin Williams interview because I'm a I'm a big Robin Williams fan. The second uh-huh. I would have it was probably Aladdin would probably be my second film I'd watch if it was on my own. He said that. He once said that that is the script he's most closely followed because he's sort of quite well known for um, going off on tangents and whatnot. But he says that's the script that he followed the most, the most closest. Which is Matt, like, how old were they when they wrote that? And they made a thing that Robin Williams was like, well, I'm, I can't add any value to this. Really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, 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 were you into Robin Williams, like, movies? Or was he a stand-up? That you, was he part of your sort of education in stand-up? Stand-up. There's a bit about the, that Robin Williams has got a bit that's now doing the rounds because of, like, TikTok and stuff called uh, The Invention of Golf. Where he plays a, he sort of does this act out of a drunk Scottish guy coming up with the idea of golf. So in Scotland, we all were obsessed with, we thought that was the funniest thing. So that's how I got into him. And then Aladdin, obviously, he's just, you could, could I mean, there's a strong argument for greatest, like, like what, what, what would you call it? Voice character, like voice work of a film. Like it's just a lot, the genie in Aladdin is elite. And then yeah. from then from there, like yeah, I just got so into him. all these. I, I I then started gigging at the comedy store, and there's loads of pictures of him at the comedy store as well. The one in the UK. Oh, I I thought you said you saw him gigging at the comedy store. You mean you saw when you when you started gigging there? You saw yeah. the photos. Yeah, I saw, I saw him once at the comedy store in the UK when I first moved to London. He was doing like a five wow. ten minutes thing. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah. so wow. set on a Thursday. I was doing five minutes, and so was he. How mad's that? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. You're on the same bill as Robin Williams. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. So what yeah. A thing. Was, and then so 
Yeah, he's so great, man. Such a loss. Oh. How uh, how many times would you say you've seen Goodwill Hunting? How often do you watch it? Is it something you revisit or is it just there yeah, in your I'm mind? Not, like, I don't want to. Sometimes I exaggerate things needlessly. Um, me and my wife call it Ian Tax. It's like a comedian what? thing. Not yeah, like the size on. of things or anything. Just like if I like <laughs> score a goal, I'll just say like I scored three goals in football and I scored two. Like just pointless. <laughs> But, um, I, have a, I have a friend as a stand-up who does the same thing. And what do you ever have this thing where you um uh, you hear the first telling of a story, and then maybe like six months later you'll hear them telling the same story, and it will it it will be a lot funnier. But that's also because it has been embellished to the extent that it's now fucking hilarious. If my wife could say that's not true every time I told an anecdote to anyone, we would never get anything done. <laughs> It's wild. So I don't want to do that. So I'm going to conservatively put it at 50 times I've watched that film. Good. Uh, right. That's it. Ian, the curtains have closed. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting, and thanking you. Sorry. No one's milling out. I've got to come <laughs> off script again. That's it. Ian, the curtains have closed. You're quietly walking out alone, thanking yourself for taking yourself on an incredible night out at the movies. But before you go, it's time for the mystery questions. We ask, what's in the box? I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Okay, here's a box. Mystery question. Uh, according to your lovely partner, Laura Whitmore, who has been a previous guest on this podcast, you had no idea when watching Jurassic Park that Richard Attenborough was David <laughs> Attenborough's brother. Care to explain? I, me and Laura were watching <laughs> Jurassic Park and I said to Laura, I went, oh, that guy's just like, obviously watched like a load of David Attenborough things and he's like totally like being David Attenborough. And she went, that's his brother. I went, no, no, I don't think he's trying to be like his brother. I think he's literally trying to be David Attenborough. And then Laura was like, no, that is his brother. And I didn't even know he had a brother. So that blew my mind. I thought he had like, re I thought the actor had researched David Attenborough and was doing a David Attenborough pastiche. But it turns out it's, yeah. it's Richard Attenborough, who is a relative of David Attenborough. Yeah, indeed. Yes. Uh, famously, his brother. Uh, I love that. That's fantastic. I, oh, and I, I think I, both you and Laura promised me that wouldn't come up on this podcast, actually. <laughs> Apologies uh, from me, at least. Um, Ian, that really is it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you go, let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going on your own at 9.20 in the evening. You are in an empty cinema taking the most expensive seats despite only paying for a regular seat. For the food, because cinema food is the best food in the world, you're having a hot dog with mustard and ketchup, blue and purple cola bottles, and two 660 milliliter bottles of lager with some mixed popcorn. We're putting up posters for Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, not Shocker, but Chocola, A Man Called Otto, and Wrong Turn 2 which will let people know that horror should be celebrated more at awards shows. The movie you're most looking forward to is Adam Driver shooting dinosaurs in 65. We are playing the opening scene from the social network. We are printing on a T-shirt just for you. How do you like them apples? We're listening to the soundtrack to 
American Pie, and then we are watching Goodwill Hunting. Ian, have you had a good time? That actually, honestly, is like, I can't believe how amazing that night would be for me. <laughs> it is your perfect trip, and it really is your perfect trip. <laughs> thanks very much, man. Oh, thanks so much, man. That was so much fun. And as Ian's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week, and if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show or a comment on our socials. You can leave the review on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interview for today's Ian Sterling episode and indeed every guest who's been on the show over on our A Trip to the Movies Patreon, as well as early access to the podcast too. And if you'd like to get a taste of what those video interviews look like, subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. And that really is it for this week. I'll be back next week when another guest takes us on a trip to the movies. Bye-bye.